Welcome to James Explores the New Mutants, the podcast that, you guessed it, explores, explains, and examines the comic book series The New Mutants, its rebranding, relaunches, and spinoffs in an attempt to share my passion for this series, its characters, writers, and artists. In this episode, we'll be exploring issue number six, entitled Road Warriors. It's the New Mutants, and Team America. Enough said, I guess. So, before we dive into issue number six, I do want to take a moment to talk about the creative team. And I realize I've been doing that a lot lately. Uh, But we do have quite a few changes on this issue. And it's honestly something I think it's important to recognize because the final product, what we, the readers, eventually received... uh, is greatly influenced by the creative team, obviously, just by the look of the book and the tone of the book is influenced through the art. Um, and, and the writing is affected by who's pen, who's, who is, uh, who is uh, lettering the book, right? That, you know, Claremont, somebody who writes a lot, has a lot of dialogue, a lot of text that is, needs to go into comic issues, um, the letter is a super important position and has a, and has a quite a large effect on the overall look of the book. Um, and coloring does too, right? So all these, all these things, we've got to change an artist who's just recently come out of the book. We have two new finishers on this issue. We have a new letter and a new colorist on this issue. So the only person that's only, there's only two people that, well, three, because Salba Sim has been on the issues for quite a while, uh, but Claremont and uh, Jones, the editor, are the are, are mainstays. Uh, Salba Sim is gonna, like I said, he's gonna be on this uh, on these issues for quite a while in this comic book for, for quite a while doing the penciling. Uh, he's gonna work all the way up until Bill Sinkevich takes over the book from him at issue 18. So, like I said, we have quite a few changes. Let's get into those. Uh, we have a new colorist, George Rosos, Rosos, um, and his pseudonym is George Bell. And in the Silver Age, he did a lot of ink work uh, for Marvel, a lot especially for Jack Kirby. He's well known for that, in fact. he Some of his ink work that uh, super well-received was on issues of Fantastic Four, like landmark issues. So he's well-established. Definitely his credentials speak for themselves. Um, Now, this letterer is Janice Chang, and she's been around comics by this point for quite a while. She started at Marvel in the mid-'70s, and in the 80s, during this point, she's really working a lot. Uh, she's got about 10 books a month that she's uh, doing the lettering for. So she's really busy at this point. Um, so, and, she's, and she does a fine job, like very, very capable. Um, these two people, uh, George, he's taking over for uh, Glynis Wynn. Uh, she is a Marvel co- colorist and really ex- does excellent work. Um, very, very, very talented. Uh, and the letter uh, was Tom Orcheski. Probably pronounce, pronounce, pronouncing that incorrectly. Uh, but he he is most well known for uh, um, his work on Uncanny X Men, and she. It, he works really well for, with Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont, who's extremely wordy, uh, needs a letter that can put le- le- legible letters on the page, but also leave room for everything else that needs to be depicted by the artist. Uh, and those two work extremely well together. And like I said, Janice Chang does a, does a fine job. She's extremely talented herself and work seems to work pretty well with Chris Claremont um, now 
we're going to get into the finishers, and there's two of them on this issue, and, and I explained that basically by uh, Cloud. He, he, in an interview, talked about needing to find inkers so that he could just focus on potentially the penciling of the book. Um, and Marvel at this time doesn't have a lot of... There was a the, the talent that was available to the book at this point were young young artists and they weren't super familiar with thinking and so on this issue uh, as we had in an earlier issue uh, we're going to have two finishers um, and the first is Armando Gill and he's a super young artist um, pretty he doesn't have a lot of work to his name probably by this point I mean he's done stuff but he's you know. I'm guessing he's kind of getting kind of a crash course in inking. Or maybe, you know, because he's been paired with John Tartaglian. And, and I don't have evidence that this is true, but John Tartaglian is another artist from the Silver Age. He's been inking books since the Silver Age. He uh, is, is well-established in the industry. Uh, and is probably best known, uh, at least two of his works are, pretty familiar with people are uh his illustrator illustrate he was the illustrator sorry of marvel bios uh the life of john paul the second pope john paul ii and mother Teresa of calcutta those two things he he worked heavily on um but he's been around forever and and super talented um obviously and so it just seems likely that gill was paired with him um to try to pick up some experience i don't know that for a fact but gill at least in he's worked for a ton of companies when i looked him up online uh he he's got he doesn't seem to have a really long stay he's got a lot of little lot he's got an impact in marvel but it's not have you know it doesn't seem like there's a ton he's really connected to a ton of work um but he was part of dc dark horse comics and he's been all over um so those are the two inkers. Um, and earlier we had had two inkers on issue number one, and McLeod did some of the ink, and Mike Gustav Gustorich had done the done the rest of it. And I think you know we have another example of trying to teach a new a young artist what inking needs to be. And ultimately, what McLeod's going to decide is that he he can't. Do the art and and let somebody else do the ink. And the best way for him to do it is to to ink it himself and let somebody else draw it because he can control the final product and get more of what he's looking for. Um, and so here's the first issue where we're not going to have McLeod's influence at all. What we're going to have is two new inkers and Sabusama. And in my mind. This is an ex- issue where it's extremely noticeable that McLeod isn't there. Like, the characters look close to McLeod, but they're missing some of that, uh, the character, uh, some of what makes those characters so identifiable, right? Like, in, in this issue, they look like, very much like people that, bodies that just have hairstyles on them and costumes, um, you know they're pretty generic designs um facial features are somewhat lost and i don't know if that was through the drawing process or through the the penciling process or through the inking process or the coloring but some somewhere along the line something is missing and there's quite a few instances that i'm just not super impressed with i mean I've we I've been we've been spoiled by Bob McLeod's work, and now we're kind of left without without any of his influence, right? Without any uh, telltale signs that he was there. Um, and what, what I'm talking about is those exaggerated features that that he really highlighted in faces and the way their bodies kind of. Uh, just interacted with their environment um like tall lanky young man and his kind of stooped shoulders 
um, or like just those facial facial features that were were exaggerated, like the big ears or long faces. I mean, we still have some of those long faces and big ears, but like there's detail work in the faces that are missing, and it's a shame because those are the features that those are the features that make them feel real like they could be somebody that you met on the street or were in your high school class or your college class depending on when you were reading these issues um it was also these sort of things that made them feel like everyday people and now they're starting to get that more airbrushed feel like now they're you know their hair always looks right and their faces always look good because they've been ready and they put on their makeup before they left their house and they spent a couple hours getting their hair to do what they wanted it to do in the morning, right? Like, they definitely start to lose that, like, every person feel. They start to look more like models, the ideal, ide- idyllic person. And it's a shame because I think what M- McLeod gave us was super, really special, um... But we'll talk more about that. For now, let's get into the issue. So, as I said before, we have the New Mutants breaking into this room and busting into this room, really. Uh, and, and they're ready for a fight. And uh, we find out that this is a penthouse apartment of General Coy. And for those of you that know, General Coy is Shane Coy Man's uncle. And he is the man that was uh, had captured Shane's younger siblings and was using her brother Tran and wanted to manipulate her into doing his bidding. Um, remember, in, in, in issue 100 of Marvel Team-Up, uh, she saves her siblings and, and basically kills her brother uh, to do so. And she is then introduced to Xavier and joins eight uh, new mutants. Well... Her uncle is in California, uh, the Bay Area, so San Francisco. And they're here to find answers. They're looking to discover where Danny is. They're trying to find where Viper is because she has their teammate, their classmate, Daniel Moonstar. Uh, he does try to resist them, and he has two bodyguards, uh, and they both draw draw their weapons. And... Karma possesses them both at the same time, and she basically puts them to sleep. She's in, she's really upset. Uh, Wolf, uh, her her uncle, in the meantime, as this is going on, tries to make a break for it. He's running. Uh, she, uh, Rain transforms into her wolf form and chases him down, tackling him. He he's telling her, uh, she and and Karma's asking him about Viper at this point. He's saying, I don't know anything about it. And Rain, in, in her wolf form still, has him pinned to the floor, and she begins growling at him. And he's, why, why is this beast growling at me? Uh, and, and Karma explains, well, she knows you're lying just like I do. Um, he's like, and she's like, you're going to tell us what we want to know so we can rescue our friend, and you're going to help us do that. Uh, and he's like, well, and if I refuse? Well, Karma possesses him and walks him out to the balcony and has him climb over the railing. And he's standing, his tiptoes hanging over the edge uh, of, the, of the, the, this, this huge 200-meter-tall uh, building. Um, and, and then she allows him to basically, she releases her possession of him. And he is terrified. Uh, calling out for the blessed saints to help him. And and she says, well, uncle, they're not going to save you. No one can save you. Uh, and and I'm sure that they would be very happy to be, they, the blessed saints, and the rest of the world would be more than happy to have a vermin like you, you know, wiped off the face of this world. And he turns to her at this point, and he says no. He's very defiant. Um... You know, he, he's got just the, the, this look of sheer joy, almost uh, sick pleasure as he glares back at her. And he, and he tells her, you do it. You, you have me jump off this cliff. You, you know, possess me and follow through, kill me. You know, um, 
you've got all the good, you know, you've got perfect reason to do this. You know, you kill, you know, I, I killed your parents, betrayed your family. I ha- I used your brother against you and you had to kill him, destroy him. You know, you've got every reason in the world to kill me. You know, and, and she can't do it. She just can't. She won't, she, she, <laughs> she's had this queasy, uh, dislike for her abilities and to use her abilities in in a way where she would manipulate somebody to do something they don't want to and let alone take someone else's life and and she just can't bring herself to do it and Roberto's quick he he comes steps forward and he's like okay well she can't do it I will he's he's ready to throw uh Shane's uncle off this off this building and uh She's she, uh, Karma Shane Koi Man stops him and says, "You know that's one of the things we don't do. We don't kill. We're just not going to do that. And if we did that, we would be no better than my uncle. And and she's just not going to let him do that. And uh, as he's standing on this sledge, looking at the circus of these teenagers holding Roberto back and." And Karma standing there really uncertain of what to do next. He expre- explains to her, hey, you know, I'm not that bad a guy. You, you know, I'm willing to help you, you know, but you got to do something in return for me. There's going to be a price. And that price is that you're going to work for me for a year. He's talking to his niece, Karma. And she thinks about this. And she decides to go through with it. Elsewhere. Sonora Province, New Mexico. We see two gentlemen bounding uh, through the desert on their motorcycles. They're flying, flying through the desert at high speeds. Uh, the first man is "Are you ready?" Closely followed by "Woof." Uh, "Are you ready?" takes a leap and he lands. His his jump uh, and continues going. Wolf tries to follow him, and he lands awkwardly, and he's thrown from his motorcycle. Are you ready? Pulls off to the side, looking bad at his com- back at his comrade, Wolf, who's picking himself up off the ground. And he makes a joke about it. You know, he's, he's like, hey, looks like you couldn't keep up. Sorry, man. And uh, Wolf is upset, extremely upset. And he's like, you know, you did that on purpose, you jerk. You know, and, and things are getting testy. The rest of the... Uh, the rest of the Team America comes up behind him and uh, trying to figure out what's going on. And Are You Ready explains to his teammates, you know, you know, our comrade just couldn't keep up with me. He's, you know, full of piss and vinegar, but he's just, just not, you know, finally he's been put in his place. And Xavier kind of interrupts everything at this point, and he calls him out. He's really upset, you know. He's like, you know, you guys are out here goofing off not working together as a team and there's a young woman's life that's hanging in the balance and you just get out here you know having having a time poking fun at each other to actually do this you're to actually accomplish your mission tonight you have to work together you have to work as a team because if if you're not doing that then you'll fail and if you fail here Danny Moonstar is as good as dead and he he leaves he he releases he he stops his communication and Hancho the team leader you know he's really upset and he's like he takes him to task and he's like you know what he's right if if we can't get our act together it doesn't really matter what happens here you know we'll be killed and so will Danny. Meanwhile, on the banks of the Colorado River, we find Xavier, his hand shielding his eyes. He looks tired. Lalandra approaches from behind. She she asks if he's okay, and he explains, you know, we're midway between Team America and the New Mutants, and Team America's supposed to be trying to get the crystal that Viper wants. Well, uh, the New Mutants are supposed to be figuring out a way to save to rescue Danny in case Team America's unable to to accomplish their goal. Um, and Xavier, he sits in between both teams uh, on the Colorado River, so he's equidistant between Team America and the New Mutants who are in San Francisco. Uh, the problem is, he's the distance is so great, and he's taxed uh, just from the trip and and getting there, and the short notice of this whole thing, and then Team America's. Uh, 
own bickering and tension amongst their teammates has really caused him to focus more on that team, leaving really no time or no uh, extra uh, mental abilities for the, team, for the New Mutants. So they've been operating almost alone without any aid from him. Uh, and he's exhausted. It's really taxing him. And Melandra, as always, is telling him he needs to rest. And, and he expresses, you know, I, I can't. I can't do that. I, ha- I have to, uh, you know, I, I thought that it would be really easy to switch back and forth between them both, but that's almost impossible. Um, and and he's concerned because he had those two plans, you know, get the crystal or, or rescue Danny, and neither team seems to be anywhere near accomplishing their goal and he and he's very concerned and little andrew explains well it's very you know we're still pretty early into our venture and he tells her well you know i just it's really hard i don't know what to do I've, i'm sitting here doing basically nothing waiting and she tells him that's the price you pay for being the leader elsewhere big sir california we find danny curled up on the bed in her cell She's she's beginning to realize that, you know, this woman that's holding her, you know, even if she gets what, even if Viper gets what she wants, which is this crystal, she's probably going to kill Danny. Danny. Danny's figuring this out, and she gets up from bed, and she goes to the door, and she's she's trying to figure out, like, what, what she can do to get out of this situation. She needs to help herself, because she's not sure any help's coming. She doesn't know if they're going to find her in time. Uh, and she's thinking, like... You know, if there's some guards outside, I could, you know, I could use my abilities on them. But, but really, if I pull something that scares them out of their minds, like, they're, they're just going to run away. Uh, she begins to think about her training lately with Xavier and, and how he's really stressed the idea that, like, maybe there's a, you know, he, she needs to focus on trying to pull something other than, you know, controlling what she's pulling out from somebody's mind. You know, if she could pull something out of a guard's mind that would lure them into the cell, or if she could make something, a physical manifestation of her powers that could break down the door, similar to, like, Green Lantern's ability to make uh, something solid that could break down the door, right? Similar to that type of thing. If she could do that, or if she could project her powers, because now she's realized there's a camera watching her in the cell, if she could project her abilities uh, a longer distance and and pull something from somebody's mind that she couldn't see and, and scare them, they might release her from, they might let her out or they might come into the cell to see what's going on. Uh, she She's still in the cell, but what we do see is the person watching the camera that she'd noticed uh, is Silver Samurai. And he he makes a very good uh, note. He's thinking about, he's, as he's watching the camera, he, the, the video screen, he he sees he's thinking about Danny and he and he makes a great comment in a thought bubble. What a look. There's passion. An untamed spirit in you, child, that rivals Viper. I wonder if your mentor Xavier realizes he has a tiger by the tail. And I, I just love that thought bubble because that's absolutely talking about how Xavier and Danny's relationship has been up to this point. He is absolutely uh, got a tiger by the tail, right? Like, every time he tells her to do something, she's fighting it. You know, she is absolutely a rebel. And she'll fight for herself and what she thinks is right. And she bucks against authority, even if there's no reason to. Even if she agrees with it, she'll push against it. Um, that's very much her. And I love that he sees that in her. Um at this point, Viper comes out of the shower. She's drying her hair off, and he uh, and and the Silver Samurai mentions to her that you know they need to do something about this girl. Uh, she's too dangerous, so he thinks Danny's too dangerous, and they just need to get rid of her. They need to kill her. Uh, and Viper explains to him, "Hey, in due time, and I'll do in due time. I want her death to be artistic, you know, and that's going to take some thought. And and she wants to understand." Uh, Daniel Moonstar's powers. That's going to take some time. So there's no rush. They've got plenty of time. And and she also talks to him about what's been bothering him. She she notices that there's something wrong, that he just doesn't seem right. Uh, 
something's off about him. And he, and he explains that his father died and that he, he has not been left an inheritance. He has no inheritance. He's extremely upset about this. We see him chop a table in half. He's furious about this. Um, he's been wounded by this. And worse than that, he, he was promised by his father that he would be lord of Clan Yoshida. But that was, uh, that instead, uh, Miriko took, the, took that uh, mantle. She is the ruler of the Yoshida clan. Um, and worse yet, she has announced her betrothal to the X-Men Wolverine. Uh, so he has no land, no name, and in his mind, he is nothing. And Viper, she tells him, you know, you're my champion and my friend. And, like, when they finish their business with Team America and Daniel Moonstar, they're going to go to Japan and set this right. Um, um, So he'll get what's rightfully his. He will take over Clan Yoshida. And should Lady Marako and her... Uh, her clan, anyone in her, any of her supporters object, they will they'll be killed. Elsewhere, Black Mesa, New Mexico, we see a giant fortress in the desert, and we find Team America, uh, the two members, Are You Ready and Wolf, sitting sitting along this cliff, resting. Um, and and they seem to have been made up. They're both exhausted, and Wolf, you know, grudgingly admits that Are You Ready's very talented rider, and and you know, if it wasn't for him, he doesn't know if they'd gotten through the desert. Uh, Cowboy comes scrambling down the hill to find Wolf and Are You Ready sleeping um, inside the fortress. We see Hancho and Ratchet. They're moving quickly uh, in to try to get the crystal. They knock out two guards and they dress up in their, um, in these, uh, scientists' shield suit things. Um, and they find out they're women. And, and this is actually the Advanced Idea Mechanics, a criminal think tank. Um, and so they move through this giant fortress and they find, uh, the 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 room that contains the crystal that they're supposed to steal and and they get the door open or ratchet begins working on that but they're discovered and quickly guards begin blasting at them uh ratchet's able to grab the crystal and as they're they're you know trying to get it get out of this uh fortress there's a huge explosion um and uh in the very next panel, we see Xavier grabbing his head, uh, and he's he's letting out a scream in pain. Uh, and Liliandra, she's uh, been been affected by this as well. They both fall unconscious, um, and apparently, a malevolent, uh, evil, raged you know enraged mutant, rogue mutant has attacked them psionically, uh, rendering Xavier unconscious. Meanwhile, Big Sur, Viper's estate. Uh, we see guards patrolling the ground, but Karma makes quick work of them, rendering them unconscious. The mu- new mutants move in position, and Sam Guthrie comments about how much this, this moment reminds him of the first night they all met, and, and Karma tells him, please, you know, be quiet. And Roberto asks, is there trouble? And she explains that she was supposed to be in constant contact with Professor Xavier uh, before they took any further action, but he's not answering her mind calls. Uh, and, and Roberto explains this by, you know, the fact that he's probably just too busy with his, his new team of mutants. And Sam pokes fun at him, saying, well, I thought they were he- your heroes, and... Roberta's like, well, until I met them, you know, they're just a bunch of jerks. Uh, and and 
here we see karma stepping up to the leadership role again um and she she tells him you know we we're just going to have to go you know we got to move and then all of a sudden a voice calls to her shane and she and she says out loud who who's called who calls my name and and we see in a thought bubble professor xavier is this is that you Hardly, my dear girl. I am that which will bring about his destruction. And you shall be my instrument. And she's terrified. We see just this look of terror. She spins around and she screams no. I mean, she screams out loud no. A spotlight hits the team and she no longer hears the voice. She's not sure what's going on. But she's ter- she realizes that she's drawn the enemy, the guards, to their presence. She's alerted the guards. Um, guards begin storming out of the building. Cannonball takes action almost immediately. He rockets through them, knocking them to and fro. Roberto da Costa transforms to stun- Sunspot. He lifts a, s- a semi-trailer, and, and he throws it at, at them. Uh, meanwhile, Karma possesses two guards. Uh, the building starts to collapse, and and the door breaks down, and and she and uh, Dan Moonstar, who's who's uh, in this in her cell still, she figures it's an earthquake. Quake. Uh, there, there's two guards that are pointing weapons at her. Uh, she pulls images from their minds, and it terrifies them. And she uh, punches, pushes one out of the way, and and punches the other. Uh, she's rubbing her hand. I love this scene because she's rubbing her hand and it's commentary that like, one thing I love about Claremont, you know, she, she, she's hurt her hand by punching this guy. And, and I love that Claremont, you know, there are times in superhero comics and, and it happens in Claremont's comics too, that, that heroes will, you know, take a beating and it's like, uh, you'd think they'd have a broken bone or something, but, but Claremont, he seems to try to not, I don't want to say realism, because I don't think there's realism. But, but like, the fact that she punches guys in helmets in the face, you know, and, and she's hurt her hand. Like, I, I enjoy that. You know, it's like, they're not invulnerable. They're not invincible. Like, there is a danger and a threat to their lives. Um, and, and that's how it should be. Like, there should be some higher stakes. Um, and, and she's moving now uh, down the hallway. She sees... Her friend, Rain, laying on the ground. There's a cut, a giant gash on her side, and she's bleeding pretty profusely. Uh, and, and she wonders, you know, and, and uh, Daniel Moonstar goes to her, and as she's stepping over to her friend, we see Silver Samurai with his blade. He's ready to strike. Uh, Meanwhile, northern New Mexico... Team America is flying across the desert on their bikes. They're making their escape. Uh, something begins firing at them. It's airships. They're they're hot on their trail. Um, and and Team America realizes at this moment they're not going to make their escape unless they and unless they do something about these airships. And Wolf at this point, he he summons the Dark Rider. He becomes the Black Rider, and he, and. Uh, he he leaps from one air car to the next, to the next, causing three of them to crash before he lands on the back of Cowboy's bike. Uh, more are, are coming after them. And Team America prepares to continue the fight. Elsewhere, Big Sur, California, Viper's Estates. The battle continues to rage on. The Silver Samurai is prepared to strike. He holds his katana above his head. He's ready to bring it down upon Daniel Moonstar. When Cannonball smashes through the wall, he hammers into uh, the Silver Samurai, and the two continue to fly through the air. Uh, Cannonball and the Silver Samurai smash through another wall before Cannonball hits him into the ground, and they come to a complete stop. Cannonball, no longer in his blasting form, is beginning to stand, and the Silver Samurai is recovered. He's ready to slash at him with uh, Sam Guthrie with his katana. Roberto da Costa in his sunset spot form runs up and sm- and punches, smashes the Silver Samurai, and the Samurai goes flying 
He's stunned by the blow. He can't believe how hard Sunspot struck him. And uh, Sunspot's continuing forward. He's ready to punch the Silver Samurai again. Uh, and the Samurai retreats. He teleports away. He needs to help see if he can get uh, Karma, help his friend. Uh, and, and Sunspot swings wildly. He misses as, as the Silver Samurai teleports away. Uh, meanwhile, elsewhere, Karma and the, and the Viper are locked in a battle of the wills. Karma's trying to possess the Viper, and and to this point, the Viper's succeeding and and holding her off. She's got her gun. She's ready to try to kill Karma, but can't as they are locked in this battle of wills. Uh, she's in in this moment of intense struggle, mental s- struggle. Uh, the samurai appears, the silver samurai appears in the room, and, and he calls out Viper's name. Uh, this this distracts the Viper, and, and Karma's able to take possession of her. Uh, she has Viper pull her gun and, and points it at, uh, at uh, the silver samurai. Um, and, and he tells... And, and Karma has Viper, uh, tells the Silver Samurai through Viper to drop his sword or, or she'll, you know, shoot him. Uh, the Silver Samurai acts quickly. He, he strikes Viper, knocking her unconscious um, before, before Karma can carry through on her threat. Uh, and... And he picks up so uh, the viper. Uh, he he's standing near viper, and and he realizes that in this moment, karma is extremely vulnerable. Karma, this the strike, you know, as as the samurai has struck the viper and knocked her unconscious. This this hurt karma, and and karma has been jarred uh, by this this moment, and it has created a moment of vul- vulnerability, and. Uh, the samurai knows that he could strike her down right here as, as Karma falls to her knees uh, before him. But he knows they need to escape. Things are not going their way and, and they need to get out of there before before, uh, before the new mutants regroup. And so he teleports with Viper away, leaving Karma. Uh, Elsewhere, the Colorado River, Sunrise. Xavier's beginning to regain consciousness uh, from the attack he suffered by that rogue mutant. Uh, Team has arrived at the Blackbird, and th- they're explaining that, hey, they, they got the, the crystal. And they're not really sure what Viper wanted with it, but they do have the crystal. And uh, they don't know if the, that mutant or whatever that entity, entity was that ex- attacked Xavier was tied to the crystal or part of that base but after the explosion it seems that entity is no longer around uh it's no longer bothering xavier or the or the or the uh and and things seem to be all right uh they're getting ready to leave because they know that the new mutants were going to be engaging viper and, and he hasn't been in communication with them xavier hasn't and so he needs to get to california as quick as possible uh Hancho says, we need to wait for my two teammates. Uh, they're still out in the desert. And Xavier's like, yeah, I know, but look, they're, they're on their way right now. And we see Wolf in a, in a panel with no text. Just Wolf with uh, Are You Ready draped over his shoulders. They're returning to, the, to the, their teammates and the Blackbird. Meanwhile, Big Sur, California. Shane is kneeling down. Uh, Danny's kneeling down above uh, Wolfsbane. Uh, as Shane and her team and uh, Roberto and Sunspot climb through a hole in the wall. Uh, Danny's overjoyed. She calls out Shane's name, and and Karma calls out Danny's name. The two embrace in a hug, and this moment is so beautiful because if you remember the very first issue, these two had this absolute blow-up fight. You know, Karma was threatening to kill Danny, because Danny had pulled those images from her mind uh, on accident. But to have that be the introduction in the very first issue to those characters and to have their friendship having begun to blossom and that they're so overjoyed to see one another, like it's a long ways from where they were when this, when this comic book started. 
and it's been a joy to watch these characters grow and change and and really find their place on this team and like it's it's wonderful and to see this moment where they've embraced in a hug it's it's great you know and they see that Rain's injured, but it looks like she's probably going to be okay. Her healing factor seems to be taking care of the wound on her side. Uh, as Karma, you know, begins to stand back up after having looked at Rain's wound, uh, Danny confronts her. You know, she's like, Rain told me before you guys got here about your deal with your uncle. And it's not fair. You don't, you shouldn't be working for him. It's my fault you were involved in that. And if anyone's supposed to serve that debt, it should be me. And Karma tells her, I gave my word. And before this can be resolved or continued, this conversation continue, can continue, uh, Xavier interrupts it with a, with a mind call. And he, he asks, you know, tells them, I told you, Karma, I told you to wait. I instructed you to consult me before you took any action against Viper. And Karma tells him, hey, I tried, I really tried, to, but when you didn't reply, I had to make a choice. I, ha- I felt like I had no alternative, and so I took my own initiative, and, we, and we, we moved in on Viper. And Xavier's like, I, I would have preferred you'd waited, but the fact that you... The uh, fact that you couldn't get a hold of me and that you were successful, you know, like, I... I you know, I support your decision 100%. And he tell, he's beginning to tell them that they should be there within the hour that the Blackbird's airborne. But Karma realizes that his astral image has begun to change. Um, she also realizes that her teammates don't seem to realize that there's a change to the image. That voice returns. Shane Coy, man. I have come to claim you body and soul forever karma lets out a scream and she covers her face she falls to her knees her teammates go to her we are the next panel shows a boat on the water below the vipers estates and on that boat we see the silver samurai he pushes a button click there's a huge explosion xavier and the next panel cries out, no. He, he explains that his psychic link with, his t- with the new mutants has been severed. But before that happened, there was su- he felt surprise, terror, and pain, then oblivion. He tells them they've got to hurry, they've got to get there. They've got to get to California as soon as possible. He fears something terrible has happened. The next issue is flying down to Rio. So this issue actually has grown on me. I don't really, I'm not a fan of Team America. I really am not. I I think they're a lame merchandising ploy. I don't think the team's that cool. I don't like the gimmick of riding bikes. I don't like the idea that, like I like the concept of a group of mutants having powers that, somewhat reliant on others or when they work together they they have a like that's a cool idea um but the gimmick is kind of like it's cool in that it's different but that's kind of it right like i don't like the gimmick of the bikes i don't like it's just there's just a lot for me not to like um, and maybe some people do. Maybe some people really enjoy this concept. Maybe some people really get a kick out of it. I'm just not one of them. And that, that's okay. Uh, that being said, I like this story arc. I like the way it unfolded. I like the development of characters. Like I like the flirtation in last episode between Danny and Roberto. I like Roberto being such a hothead. I don't like how Team, Inter- team America interacts with teenagers i think it's ridiculous uh it's no wonder wolf is constantly trying to fight with uh children because he dates a child uh in the run of team america uh (laughs) it's ridiculous but back on topic i like here you know especially at the end of this issue uh this this bond that has formed between karma and danny it's it's something that's really uh something i wouldn't have expected 
to have developed by this point in the comic because of what happened in issue number one between the two of them, where Danny pulls those images from, from Karma's mind in front of her teammates. This created a rift that I didn't think would be healed, but the, the events of the Brood Saga and the way they interacted with the New Mutants really drove those characters together. And as the team worked together to, to you know, combat the Brood, really it creates a bond between Karma and uh, Daniel Moonstar that I hadn't expected and we see this in this issue those two characters really have become very close in a way that I wouldn't have guessed would have happened and I think that's really cool I think that's great um and and I like that like they're so aware and so tightly knit already to this point and uh they're willing to go up to against the world for each other and that's that's amazing. I think that's so cool. So, like, we have the team pretty soundly developed and really working together very well by this point in the, issue, uh, the comic. And now it's just a matter of the issues finding their footing and finding the direction and the tone of the book. The, the characters are wonderful. Uh, you know, there are some flaws with this story arc. I've already mentioned them. Xavier and his preoccupation with... Uh, with uh, Team America, Team America's way they relate to the New Mutants, I think is kind of ridiculous. Uh, I've already mentioned, I think Team America is ridiculous. So those are some of the problems. But overall, the development of the characters, the development of the team, and the story itself, and the villains, I really enjoy. I like how this ties into the larger X-Men picture with Silver Samurai and Viper. Um, I, I like... The, the character development, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think in some ways it's super successful, in others it's not. And the fact that they lost their artist, the co-creator Bob McCloud, over Team America and scheduling issues is a real shame. Because, you know, we're not going to, in my opinion, we're not going to have another artist that's as ga- groundbreaking and uh, influential as Bob McCloud was on this title until we get to Bill Zinkevich. Um, that's just my opinion. Sal Buscema, he's by no means a bad artist, but it's really hard to not notice the difference between the characters now and what, what McLeod had given us. You know, he was a master of teenage mannerisms and teenage, uh, facial expressions and really just creating believable teenagers, right? They weren't perfect models. They weren't perfect, uh, sculpted, chiseled, um, models. They weren't, uh, their, their makeup didn't always look like it was done. They looked very much like everyday people that you'd meet on the street. And I, and I really adored that. I think, you know, he just, he was revolutionary and to, and to, think if another artist had this issue to start, if he, if somebody else had done this book from the beginning, we wouldn't have had that. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm really grateful for that. You know, he, he took, he wanted to do more female characters. He did that. He, uh, his art worked for that. And, and he was very, I don't know whether he was real conscious or not, but the way he drew, he didn't overly, he didn't, he didn't try to sexualize these characters. You know, they are very much uh, teenagers and everything that happens in the artwork forwards the story. It's not about selling issues through sex, and I really appreciate that. And I've talked about that so much, but it is so refreshing to see that in comics. It's not something you see uh, very often, especially in today's uh since the 90s and probably before that honestly but definitely the 90s was a was the time of uh tna and uh that's when i started collecting comics so a lot of the books i bought that's what what i was plastered with as a teenage boy and i didn't have necessarily a problem with that but but i as an adult like my my thoughts and opinions have changed on that and so to look back and to see that there was there were artists that did substantially amazing work and did it with 
you know, without the intent to to use sex to sell uh, books. Like, it's super refreshing and super impressive. Um, yeah, but from here forward, McLeod will be off the book. Uh, we've got some big changes coming uh, because one of these members of the team, uh, the entire t- all the new mutants are are at are grouped together and this explosion happens and one of them's going to be missing and we're also going to have to wait a while before we discover who exactly is this voice that's been uh talking to karma and who who assaulted xavier it's going to be a while before those questions are answered uh but in the very next issue we are going to figure out which of these new mutants will no longer be part of the team so I can't wait uh, to get into the next issue, flying down to Rio. It should be a good time. There's going to be a pretty lame villain. So I hope you're ready for that. Uh, but uh, after that, things should get a little bit more interesting. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are available every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at ExploreNewMutant or via email at ExploreTheNewMutants at gmail.com. Anchor has this awesome voicemail feature, which allows you, the listener, to record about minute-long questions or comments and send them directly to my voicemail box. Um... And which I can then take and add directly into the podcast and then answer those directly on air. Um, it's a great way for you listeners to become involved, and I highly com- encourage it. I love, uh, I love involvement, obviously. Um, so f- please feel free to uh, hit me up on Twitter, send me emails, uh, or, or use the voicemail feature. However you want to get a hold of me is fine. I would be more than happy to answer questions, field comments, um, or answer concerns as well. Um, So yeah, I really enjoyed doing this podcast as always. I really, really, really adore it. It's been great, Um, and I can't wait to get into next week's episode. So until then, keep reading those comics.